ET contact researcher Mary Rodwell is quite simply blazing a trail for the ages. Not that she's alone in her pursuit, but hers is certainly one of tenacity, of authenticity, and of revelation. After working with numerous individuals globally, many of them young children, who have revealed their reality is what the mainstream would call inconceivable. From Mary's perspective, these new humans, as she refers to them, are here to usher in the new normal and guide us toward the true soul aspect of ourselves and our planet. The proof, as they say, is in the pudding, and Mary has gathered so much evidence to show that we are living among a new human. Perhaps you are one yourself. Nevertheless, they are here. They are way showers. But if we're not paying attention to what they're trying so desperately to show us, where will we end up? Listen to some of the amazing stories Mary has to share. And despite your temptation to toss the otherwise unimaginable, if you open your mind, your heart, and your soul, maybe, just maybe, you'll be awakened to the new human that's in our midst right now. Mary, you and I, of course, speak all of the time, as you know, but I have to tell you, it's always an extra special treat when I get to have you on the show so we can share our conversation with the wider Higher Journeys audience as we will do today. So thank you once again, Ms. Mary, for joining us. I know this is going to be an extra special, fantastic chat. Oh, thanks, Alexis. Um, I always enjoy our chats, as you well know. Yes, likewise. Absolutely. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say this up front, I'm not going to conjure anything up here. But Mary, uh, after doing amazing miles travel all over the world, and it continues, her voice has been a bit strange, she's been talking a lot, and she got a bit of a cold. So we're gonna we're gonna keep our fingers crossed that she can keep her voice today. <laughs> so again, I hope I didn't conjure anything up, Mary, but let's see if we can get through this for you. <laughs> uh, well, listen, I, I know I'm losing count as to how many times you've been on the show. Let's just say you're a regular here at Higher Journeys. And I love that. But you know, each time you come on, you've got something new and exciting to share. And today is no exception. Today, we're going to be chatting about some of the incredible information you'll be sharing during one of your talks at the upcoming Contact in the Desert event in Indian Wells, California next month, of which I will be happy to join you at. Now, when I read the summary for this particular talk that you're doing, and I know you're doing a couple of things, I thought, this is going to be great. Here's what Mary is talking about at this, at this specific talk. She will be covering human hybrids, missing pregnancies, walk-in souls, and what you're calling OBE consciousness swaps in human and non-human forms. And this is just a partial list of the apparent realities that might challenge even the most open-minded of us. And yet you're prepared to say that each of the above that I just mentioned are likely factual. Let's start with this idea of human hybrids, Mary. What in your own experience uh, has exposed you to the idea that human ET hybrids actually exist. Let's start with that. Well, I think it's the overwhelming um, testimony from so many individuals. And, you know, the thing <clears throat> that I have to say is that these are people that don't necessarily know that their story is being echoed by other people in other places or other countries. Mm -hmm. They're coming out of this because it's their experience. 
and it is very profound not only because um, <clears throat> excuse me not only because they may have experienced it in an altered state which may they may question it I've had some talk about their experiences in real time in in conscious time and when you have that when it's been something they consciously remember of seeing a hybrid and realizing in some way they might be connected to that hybrid that is um, something that is very very hard for them to even believe for themselves let mm -hmm. alone for them to even talk about but this is what I'm hearing mm -hmm. time and time right right well as you know I was involved in the project uh, the book meet the hybrids that was co-written by Miguel Mendoza and Barbara Lamb I narrated the audiobook version for them and I'll, I'll tell you, this gave me extraordinary insight into this reality that there may be, may in fact be uh, many ET human hybrids walking amongst us. And in fact, uh, from doing this project with Miguel and Barbara, I've since met several of the hybrids that were interviewed for the book. You know, each seemed to be, <clears throat> I'm going to clear my throat as well, <laughs> each seemed to be so very human on the one hand, so very human, but there is something so refreshingly different about them at the same time. In your own experience, Mary, if you if you can identify, what has stood out most to you about these unique individuals? Well, first of all, let, let's get to the nitty gritty of understanding that I believe we're all hybrids as such, that we're intelligently designed by many of the species or uh, intelligences that are visiting us. But what makes these a different kind of hybrid or, or um, another um, program of hybrid is and I was talking to a 16 year old young lady um, from Spain who I will be showing some of um, her testimony about how she understands her hybrid nature and one of the things that she says is the way she identifies that is because she's got more extraterrestrial DNA that has was placed there before at the time that she was conceived okay. so she has a sense of herself that is far more connected, if you like, to her cousins or, or ancestors, her cosmic ancestors, than maybe some of us have. And that's how she identifies the nature of who she is and the star systems that she's connected to. There are others that we all know that um, were in Meet the Hybrids that are seeing themselves as part human, part extraterrestrial, and sometimes favoring that part that's extraterrestrials. But on top of that, You've got many women that have had missing pregnancies. Right. We're going to get to that. Um, and, and what happens with that is either genetic materials taken or they even have for a time, they have that hybrid um, as a pregnancy that is then taken on board craft. And one of the most fascinating I'll be talking about in Contact in the Desert is a lady who was a um, former flight attendant when she was working as a flight attendant, she actually met in a hotel bedroom, uh, sorry, in a hotel passageway, um, a young girl who later she discovered when she realized this girl morphed in front of her into being something that wasn't quite human. And she realized her connection to this, this child was because this child was one of hers. And there's another part to that story, which you're going to have to come to contact in the day. There you go. <laughs> to, to find out what that next bit is, because right. it's actually quite fascinating. But what I'm really highlighting is our interaction with many of these hybrids, the parents and the mothers, even uh, men have had genetic material taken. 
and found out they've got children on board craft that are hybrids. And often both um, women and men get taken in many cases to see their children and to bond with them. So we've got a, a huge program which is multi-layered, multi-complex, which is relating to many genetic mixes that are not just um, some of them that are walking around on this planet, but those that are actually on spacecraft that have got a mix of human and non-human genetics, depending on the program that they're part of. Mm. This idea of missing pregnancies, I think it's, it's, you know, it's known to those of us that are in this aspect of the air experiential research, and, and yet it still eludes so many of us how this can happen. You know, I can tell you of a, of a case, I'm certainly not going to mention the name of this person, someone that I know quite well, who revealed to me, as surprised as I was, that she had not just a missing pregnancy, I believe she was in her, she may have been in her second trimester, I'm not quite, I, I can't quite remember what she told me, but she was well along, uh, maybe the first uh, trimester, but nonetheless, she had gone to her physician to, you know, do a, a regular checkup, only to find out that the, the pregnancy was not existing anymore. However, rather than it being that being the case, you know, and she was no longer pregnant, she became she became not impregnated again, but the, it seems that the fetus was returned to her. And as a result, so so she was not pregnant, and then she was she resumed pregnancy. Let's just say, and I actually saw a picture of this child. She's now in her twenties, but she showed me a picture of this baby. I don't know if I had a chance to show you, Mary, but clearly there are features that to me seem hybrid. So we're here. We're talking about a missing pregnancy, but then the baby was brought back into the womb and brought to full term. Does that sound familiar to you? It certainly <clears throat> doesn't surprise me um, because what I'm also <clears throat> discovering is the, that the consciousness can also be changed within a physical container as well, that we're not just necessarily talking about the essence of that particular soul within that container, but that essence can be moved into another container as well. And that's part of what I will be discussing. What can the soul do? What can our essence, what can our spirit do? Mm -hmm. Because it is, is now showing me quite clearly that the container isn't vital to the soul because if the soul has another container to go into, it can do so and go back to that other physical container again. So, you know, when I was talking about the, you know, the eight-year-old over a number of interviews that told me he evaporated into the mantid form um, on board spacecraft, for example, what he was basically saying was his essence was going, his consciousness was going into that form for a time, but then it was coming back to his human form again. Mm -hmm. So we're not just seeing different containers, different vehicles for the soul, but also the fact that the soul can be moved from one container to another. And this is very similar to what we call the walk-in. Right, I was going to say, which you'll also be talking about. I'd like to get to that maybe a little bit later, but yes, continue. So what I think has come out of this is we're talking about consciousness. We're actually talking about the vehicle, whether we call it, you know, a biological vehicle or whatever, is not crucial in the sense that um, we can literally move from one vehicle to another. And this is what I've heard from others that have gone on board craft 
And what they've described to me is sometimes they're put into another, um, if you like, body or um, whatever, whether or not it looks at like an ET, a Zeta or another, another form for a particular task. And then they will then, when they've done that, move and, and morph back or, as the little boy said, evaporate mm. back into the human form again. So we've got something um, that's going on here that is really a whole new level of understanding the nature of soul, the nature of consciousness, which is now what I think we have to understand is, is, is really where this is all going. This is, this is taking this to a whole new level of understanding the quantum universe. Right. You know, what we are as, as consciousness, as an essence, if you like. Absolutely. That's a good point that this is a teaching moment. I mean, again, it's so difficult for so many of us to get our arms around the fact that these things actually are taking place, can take place and are taking place, maybe in excess, but, but there is, there is, um, what can be gleaned from it is how malleable, we talk about the, the malleability of reality, but the malleability of our own consciousness, being able to move from container to container, uh, or, or morph from one to another is really something to uh, to really think about. I, I want to stay on the missing pregnancies a little bit more, Mary, because again, I'm, in helping our audience to try to understand how common this may be, how common this is, and our, you know, we, we think of missing pregnancy at first blush, you would say, okay, uh, maybe it's a, uh, uh, still, not stillborn, but um, uh, miscarriage is what I'm thinking of. There are miscarriages that happen all the time. Might some of the miscarriages that we think, uh, that some think they're having could be missing pregnancies in, in the form that we're talking about? Abs yes, absolutely. Um, what huh. is part of the problem is that we have um, a truth embargo that doesn't put this information out into mainstream. So for many within the, within the medical profession, psychological profession, you know, or whatever, will misunderstand many of the indicators of extraterrestrial contact. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, that would happen in midwifery. I mean, I was a midwife, uh, obviously, myself. Mm -hmm. um, interesting thing is that if you are a person that thinks you're pregnant and then finds you're not pregnant, but has a sense of grief and the feeling of great loss, but not really knowing why because of that feeling, that may very well be if you look at the history of that person, they may very well indicate they're having extraterrestrial contact. And the, the fascinating thing with that is, and I've got a whole chapter on missing pregnancies in awakening for that reason, is that some of these without doubt are, will be the program. Now, some of the um, women will have a sense ultimately that something's happening or they may be told telepathically they've got children on board craft, they may have dreams where they see strange children um, and, and feel a, um, a, a strange connection to them. But one of the most fascinating stories that I wrote about was a, a lady in England who had um, been told by her doctor she was pregnant. It was her third child. And she was told that it was actually going to be quite dangerous for her to go ahead with the pregnancy because um, she, her, her second son nearly died. And they, he advised, the doctor advised her not to go ahead, but she hadn't made a decision. She goes to sleep one night, wakes up the next morning and finds the pregnancy's not there, just blood, blood in, in the bed, <laughs> and realizes that she's lost the pregnancy. But 
Then she gets flashbacks of something being taken from her over a number of years, has a feeling something else is going on. And ultimately, it's her second child that tells her, Mum, I've got a brother. Um, you, you're not acknowledging that I've got a brother. And she really doesn't want to hear this. She finds out he's having ET contact. She's hmm. realizing it's affecting the whole family. And finally, um, I did a session with her when she came to Australia. And it was one of the most profound and scary ones for me as a therapist because I didn't know what we would find out. And she was already terribly traumatized. She couldn't even look at babies any longer. She, wow. she, she, she was so traumatized by the feeling that they'd taken her baby. And what was profound was when we finally explored the, the reality of it was that, um, and she was getting, um, taking her through this was really difficult because of the, the, the trauma that she'd experienced through it was that she saw onboard craft them taking the child, the, the fetus, if you like, at, at that point. But what was fascinating was I said, well, let's now find out why. And she was able to talk to one of the beings and her conversation to the being, the being from, from the being, they were saying, you've been told by the doctor that if you go ahead, that you will actually, you know, you may very well lose your life as well as the life of the child. Um, you know this. And she said, yes. And they're saying, but we can save the child, but you will never have it on, on earth. You'll, it'll have to stay with us, but you will uh, be able to save it if you leave it with us. And she actually says to the being, well, if you promise to, I can't leave my family. I don't want to, my, you know, I don't want to die. So if you promise me that you'll love him and, and take care of him and, and always be there for him, I will let you have the child. And she's actually consenting. And it was the most profound kind of session I've ever had because she realizes that you know she's actually agreed because she wants to save the child's life and she had already been told by the doctor that she'd probably have to terminate if she didn't want to lose her life and then what was fascinating is I said um, you know can, can you see the child now and she bursts into the most amazing emotional smile and says I see him I see him he's got long hair and he's got a missing tooth and he's standing in front of me and he's holding out a rose and she, it was the most profound and amazing thing to witness. I've never, I, you know, what was fascinating about it was not only was this was the healing, but she told me afterwards that she had a name for the child, who she called Nathan, and he used to come and visit, visit her um, uh, in, uh, you know, an out-of-body form. She used to see him, mm -hmm. and he used to her from that time. But she'd hated the beings. She blamed them for everything until she had this experience. So there's a, another layer to this that people don't always realize. But many of the women get taken on board craft and shown their children and asked to bond with them. So we've got a whole program there. Um, and are they agreeing or not? Certainly with this lady, it was a consensual thing. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions that I always ask is, have you on any level consented to this program and nine times out of ten they'll say yes nice. but it was before I came here so there's there's a, there's a part of um, the mandate that some um, women will agree to and men that they will participate in genetic programs as part of their earth mandate or whatever um, and and that is what's so fascinating there's a whole new level 
of understanding and awareness once you get to that higher, um, that super conscious part of that individual mm -hmm. that understands there's a bigger, bigger picture here, a bigger program here than we realize on this planet. Oh, gosh, absolutely. That is qu quite the story. And as I'm listening to you, Mary, I'm thinking to myself, this is one person and there have been others who have been able, who have been blessed to get clarity, it seems, on what actually happened. But think of the numbers, if, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, that this is, once again, far more of a common phenomenon than we know, these scenarios, and all of the individuals that will never know, A, that this has happened, and B, that they may have consented. Isn't there a way, or this is really the, the, the trillion dollar question in terms of, uh, call it transparency to the, to the, to the largest extent, where those of us that are having contact in any way, shape, or form can get clarity, where the screen memories will finally come off and the, you know, all of the, the hidden aspects will, will go away, the veil will, will thin and eventually disappear. Seems like we all I, need to know what's going on. I think that's the big one, isn't it? Um, yeah. And so many write to me because that's exactly what they want. They want to understand whether it's a missing time episode or some other strange event that they've never understood. It might've even happened as a child, some unusual dreams that have, they, that have never left them. And one of the ways that I say, yes, you know, hypnosis is a really good way if you're ready and, and you, you know, you're, you're at a point where you, you really need those answers. But another way, is for you and, and it's very simple all you need to do is go into a, a quiet space and actually ask that part of you that deeper part of you or that higher part of you to give you some understanding and I say don't try and you know use a lot of um, ask a lot of questions at the same time just have one particular question at a time that you want an understanding of because if you go into that place and, and sort of ask when you're really relaxed and you're really focused, what is it that um, it can be any question about an experience? Show me what is important about this experience or what do I need to understand? And then wait for some sense, feeling, knowing to come to you. Mm -hmm. And that is often the most accurate. If you try and analyze it or use logic, you'll lose it. It's really important you trust that's that intuitive side of you to offer you that information, whatever it is that you feel, sense, or have a knowing with. Or even you might get pictures. You may even get words come into your head. Absolutely. Listen to them. Because if they resonate and if they feel right, they probably are. Mm -hmm. So you can get answers that way. But the trouble is we've been so programmed out of trusting yeah. that side of ourselves that we often dismiss what we get. I'm saying to you, don't listen to it, because if you listen to it, often more information then will come as well. It's when we dismiss it, we lose what we're given. Right. And this is the part of us that will give us answers. Because in a way, you know, hypnosis is only the same thing. All we're doing is taking you into an altered state to talk to the subconscious, the superconscious, and we're asking for data. Mm -hmm. That's all we're doing. But we're keeping you focused where it's very hard to do that on your own. Exactly. That's why one question at a time is enough. Right. Try, don't trust too much. 
but you'll be surprised at what you will get. And then if you're prepared to and, and learn to listen to it and, and then you've got a way of getting some of your own answers. I think that's great advice, Mary. And it's so funny that you bring up the subconscious. I mean, we know that the subconscious is really the the storehouse, perhaps, of all of our uh, information that we've taken in and perhaps even, I mean, I, I believe it's linked to the field itself. But I was, uh, it seems like I was asking someone recently, how is it that we could could be in closer touch with the subconscious. So so what would spill it to us? Let us know what's going on because I think so many things could be solved if the if the subconscious itself was transparent to the conscious. So I, I think that's I think that's great advice. I mean you're talking about going into a quiet space, sort of a, in an altered or meditative state. I would think that just prior to falling asleep would put one in in sort of a um, ambient mood as well, where, you know, what we're trying to do is get the get the the, the the conscious mind, well, the waking conscious out of the way, I would say, right? And and expose ourselves to the more subtle but profound aspect. So sleep, just prior to sleep, wouldn't you say, or even the hypnagogic state? Yeah, look, any, uh, any state where you quiet the mind, what we're trying to do and what we do do in hypnosis is we shut down left brain or your logic analytical side. And we're talking to that other awareness you know, that that higher awareness of you, that intuition, that sensing, that knowing, that feeling, um, that is where you you take away the logic, the, the analysis, and you just let information flow. Mm-hmm. We all do this. This is, you know, and you don't have to meditate for 50 years to do it either. Mm-hmm. This is just about allowing your intuition, your resonance to truth come through and ask just one question each time so that you don't bombard the subconscious and get confused because that's part of the problem as soon as you start asking many questions sometimes it becomes overwhelming and then you lose you lose track of what you want to know mm-hmm. but we all have access to that sure. but a lot of the time we dismiss it absolutely i think that's great advice you and i were talking before we got on the air about the the fine art of dowsing that modality you you i think you say you use your um your rods, there's a couple of forms of dowsing with the with rods. Sometimes people use actually hangers or wire uh, or a pendulum of which I use. And I think, again, look, it's not we know it's not the the tool that we're using, but rather us. I say we're the tool as well, the conduit for really, again, tapping that deeper wellspring that's within us to get information and coming through the the rods or the pendulum. Same type of thing. So I think that's a great thing to practice. Listen, let's talk about, the, I want to get into the walk-in phenomenon a little bit more. This is, by the way, Journey Year is going to be a bit of abbreviated, uh, an abbreviated uh, interview today. We're only going to go about 45 minutes. So I want to try to cover a little bit more ground here. We touched on the walk on, walk-in phenomenon, Mary. This is perhaps one of the most intriguing ideas to me. Give, give us an overview, if you would, of what constitutes a walk-in. Well, my understanding is that um, the the main one that most people will articulate is where there's been uh, uh, one soul move in a particular body that has uh, uh, has a mandate to achieve, maybe being in that body to do certain um, uh, programs for themselves in as a soul. They reach what they've needed to reach in terms of what they've achieved, 
but the body is still active and useful. And so they will have an agreement with another essence or consciousness to move in after they've achieved what they've they've achieved. And that's one way it will happen. I always remember um, one interest, interesting case of a lady who told me she was a walk-in at three years old into a little girl's body. She, What's interesting to, about her story was that she was aware of being in a cylindrical craft. She was a being of about nine feet tall with blonde hair, blue eyes. Um, lang- language was telepathy. They didn't eat. They lived off light. Mm-hmm. And she suddenly found herself in a three-year-old girl's body, human body, and it was very difficult for her to start with because she had to use um, or, you know, language, which she wasn't used to using because everything was telepathy. And she had to learn to eat because she, she didn't eat um, um, as the being that she was. So she really struggled for a number of years to be human because of it. This is uh, one case, but there's been many that say um, that they walked in after an accident where one soul maybe had decided to vacate after some kind of accident or illness. One of the ladies that I've spoken to recently, and I'm, um, I, I find her story quite fascinating, is that initially the other soul that was in her, her, her body, she told me, was given three months to live. She had an autoimmune disease. And the doctors basically said, we can't do anything for you. You're, you know, you're going to die in a few months' time. She says the other soul was visited by light beings. They told her they would heal her, but then she would have a mandate. She would have things that they would ask her to do if she agreed to it. She agreed to this, but still struggled to stay in her physical body. So this other soul came in, um, and she calls. She says that she's actually from the 13th dimension. They have no physical form. They're a consciousness. They're an energy, and she come in from the 13th dimension as a walk-in because she said this way us as humans will relate to her better as an intelligence in a a human form that they can relate to and that's why she's come into the human form as a walk-in because she wants to tell us more about ourselves and teach us more of of the uh, of what we need to know um, as 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 part of this cosmic um, planet if you like so this is her mandate. Her mandate is to teach us and to show us different ways of healing, to understand our multidimensionality, etc., etc. So there's another very profound mandate come in with the walk-in. Um, some will call that a soul swap mm-hmm. as, as another name or whatever. But what it's really indicating uh, more than anything is the physical body is, is a vehicle to enable the consciousness to operate, whether it's here or, or somewhere else, and you pick the vehicle mm-hmm. that's useful for that particular density or planet. And for her, this was um, the a density that she needed to relate to humans sure. from the 13th dimension. That is fascinating. I'm trying to hold, um, I don't want to type on the computer because it'll come through in the microphone too loud because I'm so tempted to take notes on some of the extraordinary things that you just said. But the one thing that I do want to bring up, Mary, you and I have talked about what you have referred to and your colleague, uh, I believe Dr. Lena Olson, as the letter people, right? We've talked about autism. We've talked about uh, Asperger's and the other A words, ADHD. And, you know, what? The, when, you for, when you mentioned the story of the, the, the woman who uh, came in, I believe it was the one that came into the body at three years old, but came from a place where there was no speaking. 
it was telepathic communication. I think of, and I'm hearing this so much, I say unfortunately, but maybe that we're looking at this differently. Kids with autism that are not able to speak in some cases until they're six or seven years old. And you ask yourself the question, what's going on here? Is it what we think it is or is it something like what you're describing? Could, in some cases, these be walk-ins? And hence the reason why we're seeing a difficult a difficulty in adjusting to the 3D life in these children. Look, I wouldn't be surprised, although there's a, a fascinating book called A Child of Destiny. And what was interesting about this child of destiny was an autistic child that the mother tells her story. And she couldn't communicate with this autistic young girl. She honestly thought that she was mentally um, below standard as well, that she had definite issues mentally. And it wasn't till they tried a certain technique, communicating through computer, that her mother um, used this with her daughter and suddenly found her daughter was highly intelligent, hmm. that she just not able to communicate. I'm, I'm covering it very, very quickly because there's a point here that I want to, to state. It's not just the fact that she, she suddenly found her daughter was not only highly intelligent, but highly spiritual. And the daughter says through the computer, she actually says, Mom, you've got to connect to your spirit guides. They want to connect with you now. And then when the mother does do this, um, and the daughter picks it up and says, he, um, your your guide now is so happy you've connected to him, mum. But then she said, mum, I chose to be autistic. And a mum saying, what on earth are you talking about? Why would you choose to be autistic? doesn't make any sense. She said, I chose to be autistic. But, and how I did it was limit certain nutrients in the uterus so that I would be autistic because I wanted to experience from another level um, my reality and my consciousness. So it enables me to go more within than uh, be more external. So we've got a soul choosing that particular framework for their soul mandate, for what is happening um, to them in this physical life. So we're talking about this kind of choosing a particular handicap as we see it. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a handicap to the soul. Right. The other thing that we're talking about with autism, and I believe the program behind autism is that, that many of them we've already discovered. And Dr. Diane Powell, um, the neuroscientist, has found with or, um, at least some autistic kids, she's been testing them for the ability to have to, uh, telepathic abilities. And she's discovering that some of them are telepathic. This is another aspect that maybe is part of this program, an evolutionary shift as well, that we are moving into a different kind of higher awareness and this is one of the ways it may manifest to begin with, is through someone who appears to be dysfunctional or doesn't um, operate in the same way we do. And one of the things that we have to acknowledge, if they are in fact um, not able to speak very well and are telepathic, they are picking up your thoughts. Sure. And if you're getting frustrated or if you're getting fed up or in any way... Um, unhappy with with or distressed with that particular child that's autistic don't you think that child's going to know it and it's going to know it telepathically and how is it going to react they don't understand they don't understand me what's the point you're going to get a child then that's going to behave really very erratically and very um, and be very unhappy and very disturbed mm -hmm. that's just 
example of what may happen. We have to be aware that if they are telepathic, or at least some of them are, we have to look at our thoughts, we have to look at how we, we are with them, and how we love and, and support them, because that's what they need to pick up, not our frustration or, or, or with them or, or the situation. Right, no question about it. And we know that there, particularly when you have a child that is considered uh, disabled or dysfunctional, um, obviously the parents, well-being as they, uh, well-meaning as they may be, are certainly going to display a measure of, of, uh, of frustration. And I can only imagine some of the things that may go on that's tumultuous within the family environment, having a child uh, going through this sort of thing. And absolutely, I mean, hey, we're all telepathic to a degree. But when you're talking about these, at least in some cases, uh, young young people particularly, who are lacking in one vocation, that being speech, let's say, but you know, highly developed in uh, um, telepathic uh, communication and highly sensitive. And you see some of these kids, many of them, I've seen them in grocery stores acting out, you know, shaking the hands and throwing fits. Maybe that's really just a mirror of the way the parent is, has been acting. That's an act out of what they're picking up. Yes. And that's why I think these new kids are so vital because they're showing us it's not what we say. It's it's actually, it's us walking our talk. Yeah. It's not just saying lovely words, it's thinking the lovely, lovely words as well. Right. And being what you want to be, you have to be it, not just say it. These are some really critical things. Look, Mary, every time you and I get together and we, we touch on, you know, we're talking about a world that seems so foreign to so many, that being the non-human, uh, non-human intelligence, how pervasive this is in our, our, um, our relationships with them. And yet, this is now we're, we're, we're treading on soil here. That's very, very common to so many. We're talking about autism. There is a link, I am convinced. And if we don't wake up as a larger society to, to the fact that there is a link, at least conservatively, in some cases, I don't know what's going to happen. There's something happening here that's big that we, we need to get. Um, what other messages are you getting? And it, let's let's stay on this for a minute, because I think this is so important, because I know you've interviewed uh, both neuroscientists as well as lay people on this very issue of autism and how this th these may be, in many cases, the new children. We're in an emergency, I would say, as far as obviously the numbers of autism, but in an emergency and not understanding the dynamic that's going on. What kind of feed but not feedback but what kind of dialogue is going on in that regard there's an urgency at underfoot here for sure well what is heartening is that i am being contacted by educators psychologists and parents and we're not just talking about autism here <clears throat> or some forms of autism i'm not talking about the ones that um, may very well be linked to too many vaccines or whatever. I'm, that's another aspect of this. I'm talking about the ones that are born autistic, Asperger's, dyslexic, ADHD. I mean, the figures now are extraordinary. And, and what is extremely disturbing is, you know, four and five-year-olds are being medicated um, with a whole range of different medications because of this. And that, that's another side of it. The ones that are 
within mainstream that are more awake, the professionals that are more awake, are certainly seeing something bigger going on here. And for me, when you, you look at you know, some of the, the figures, I think with um, autism alone, um, in 1975, it was one in 5,000. And now in 2018, it's one in 45. You've got to say to yourself, what the hell is going That's on? That's right. Absolutely. And, same, it's, it, and it's the same with ADHD. I mean, it's extraordinary the, the, the numbers now that are being medicated, um, particularly in places like, you know, Europe and, and America and, and, play, and, and Australia, where that's, you know, four and five year olds. So the, the, the phenomena is real, but it's how we understand. Exactly. The, yeah. That's my, the problem. The problem is they're not seeing this in the way that Dr. Lena Olson, as, a, as she calls them, letter people, That's because right. she's herself. She's, she's, you know, she's ADHD, stroke Asperger's, stroke autistic, all those kinds of things. But she knows ways to stabilize um, a lot of the children through particular diet, through uh, certain vitamins. They need more vitamin Bs and other other vitamins. She, she's isolated. She says the skin. Um, how, uh, touch is they're far more sensitive to touch they have a broader spectrum of hearing um, uh, certainly uh, uh, visual acuity is, is is certainly enhanced so all the the physical sensitivities we have are exaggerated to what is considered the norm now you are and uh, to understand that they are hypersensitive in this way that they you know even to crowds and energy and mm -hmm. whatever no wonder we have them acting up and not behaving um, very well if they are struggling with these sensitivities that many of them seem to have. And, and, and Dr. Olson has measured this. I mean, she has the equipment where she's measured her own sensitivity, um, and she says it's six times higher than normal, her sensitivity to touch mm -hmm. and things that are tight, tight around her. So this is real. This is real absolutely. phenomena. Absolutely. You know? mm. It's just we haven't understood yet. And this is where we need to start looking at what is it the children are experiencing so we can then help them rather than them have to act out to get your attention. And usually it's negative attention because they're not behaving themselves. Right. Well, you wouldn't behave yourself if you, if you uh, couldn't explain yourself very well. As one autistic girl, and it stayed in my mind when she was talking about her reality, and one of the things she said was, they were saying, why is it you don't want to look at somebody in the eye? Um, and she said, when I look at somebody in the eye, I see a thousand images in one go. Hmm. Now, just imagine what that input must be like for someone who is very sensitive. No wonder you would not want to be looking people in the eye if that's the kind of overload that yeah. you experience. That's just one example, I think, of their sensitivity. And we, we, we don't even know what others that they experience because we've never really explored it from their angle. We only explore it from our own. Absolutely. Well, again, I, I say urgency. There's an urgency. I don't know how much longer we can afford to be ignorant of the nuances that are going on here, Mary. We've got to wake up fast and bless these, these children that are coming here that I know some that are quite articulate, way beyond their years that you would imagine. And and are, are trying to say, hey, look, wake up, look at who we are, look at what we're trying to show you, you know, so um, you're, you're definitely leading the charge and helping put that out there. 
We're winding up. I can't believe it. We're, we're almost out of time here. Tell us what you got going. What are you most excited about right now? What you're doing? You've got so many things going on, but what's what's really floating your boat these days <laughs> in your research? One of um, just as a little snippet of what's floating my boat. I've been talking <laughs> to some of these these children and their awareness, and I actually talked to one yesterday. Um, and and I'm just going to. I, I mean, I've I've got some amazing things that uh, on my questionnaire for children that his, his mother helped him, a 10-year-old, actually um, tell me a little bit about himself. But let me just give you a little bit of, of what what he's saying here. Yeah. He, he, he wants to be called Zach. He's very happy that I, I will share a little bit of this. But um, this is what I've got here. Um, Zach remembers choosing, the mother says, Zach remembers choosing me as his mum, going through a portal to be born. He panicked for a moment that he'd ended up in the wrong tummy, but then realized everything was okay. He remembers his previous body as an ET. He identifies as a center seed and able to connect directly to the core center of the planet he is on. In his last life, he had a blue body and his brother from that planet was the last to survive. And he can remember the last moments of his planet being destroyed and him being saved as he got into the flying craft. And he was taken to a healing facility in space where lots of many different beings were working together. He works with his mother on Earth and Earth grids, um, opening up portals to heal, reconnecting to places and other dimensions. He works with crystals. He can see interdimensionally with his eyes open. He talks about water and the power of triangles. And he's drawn an invention, a power design device using magnetism and water. Um, and this is what his mother has said. I believe that his awareness was so spread out across many dimensions and many timelines, it's almost impossible for him to focus on one timeline uh, where his physical body was. So that's a little bit oh boy. of this 10-year-old story. 10 now, years old? You, you said 10. 10. Wow. 10-year-old. My goodness. That's his memory. That's just a little bit of his memory of who he is and what he can do and he's here to he told me yesterday as we chatted um that it's about dealing with the pollution on this planet that he connects to the core and through that he is helping he will be helping energetically to deal with the pollution on planet earth my goodness powerful stuff 10 years old and I hope that at 20, this is another thing, these kids come in, they're so transparent. And it sounds like he's got parents that are nurturing this. Uh, in many cases, you know, years will go by and they'll forget. I'm thinking of someone right now who was just so, she, he'd tell me stories. Alexis, I had this dream. Alexis, I was on another planet, this and that. He's now in his 20s and I don't know that he wants to talk about it anymore. So we want to keep the you know this awareness evergreen in these these individuals minds so they can they can continue to share with all of us oh boy mary rodwell listen this this was great too short i mean it's always too short with you i could go on for hours <laughs> we have but listen in in the uh for the time being, I want to remind everyone to check out the talks and workshops Mary will be leading at the upcoming Contact in the Desert event next month, including what 
uh, we just discussed today. You just got a little taste of that. She'll be going into it a lot more. So I'm going to leave a link that will take you directly to Mary's speaker page at contactinthedesert.com. And of course, you can also get your tickets there. Hurry up and get them because time is running out. And I think this is going to be, I have a feeling this is going to be a sellout. So uh, we're so looking forward. I'm looking forward to seeing you again. And my understanding is I'll be hosting a panel that you'll be involved in. We'll, we'll talk about that offline a little bit. But <laughs> in any case, we'll have a chance to spend some time together. But for now, I want to say thank you, as always, my friend, for, for joining us once again. It's always a pleasure. You're most welcome, Alexis. You know that. Well, thank you. And thank you all for joining us once again for Higher Journeys. We'll talk to you real soon.